Good morning. If you'll please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We'll be there here in a few minutes. I read a story about a man who uh, worked hard all of his life. He worked hard. He sometimes fought hard, played hard, partied hard. He lived a hard life. It wasn't that he was a stranger to church. In fact, he and his wife had their first kiss behind the furnace in the basement of the church. So he was familiar with church. He wasn't unfriendly with church, but he just wasn't all that interested. God didn't have hold a lot of interest for him. He was His wife, once they got married and settled down, was faithful. She went to church regularly. But he was always so busy, he found other things to do. He had work. He had other interests. And so he didn't go to church. And for a long time he was kind of fine with that, but then eventually his wife's going to church kind of started to bother him. And he decided that he was going to kind of work on her a little bit. The idea of him, he'd kind of come to terms the idea that he was going to go to hell. But it started to bother him to think that he would be there without his wife. And he loved his wife. And that really troubled him, that he would spend eternity without her. So he decided that he was going to force his wife to stop going to church. So one day, in kind of their arguments, he said, Would you even feel comfortable in heaven if I were in hell? And his wife, who was very perceptive, knew what he was asking, knew why he was asking it. She'd always tried to live out her faith and gently nudge him towards Jesus without trying to just shove it down his throat. And she realized that he'd just given her a golden opportunity. And she thoughtfully replied, Honey... Would you really be comfortable in hell if I were there with you? And that shook him to his core. And he gave his life to Jesus. I know this topic, like Ben said, isn't an easy topic. I don't relish preaching on the topic of hell, but I do preach on it because it's a place I don't want anyone to go. My prayer all this week is I would be able to preach this message today with compassion, with grace and truth. And while there may be someone here today that needs to hear this message, maybe there's someone here today in this room or listening on the radio or or later this week on the internet and, and you're thinking, you know what, I'm lost in my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I want to give my life to Jesus today and be saved. And listen, I do hope and I pray that happens today. But my focus this morning in this message is on the majority of us in this room who are not going to hell. You were on your way to hell, but a funny thing happened on your way to hell. You got saved. Your destiny changed. You you changed your trajectory. But a not-so-funny thing has happened to a lot of us on our way to heaven. We forgot what it was like to be on the way to hell. We forgot what it is like for all those people that don't know Jesus to the point that we no longer warn them. We no longer tell them, I was headed that direction, but I've changed. Jesus Christ came into my life. I'm always hopeful for someone to trust in Jesus whenever I preach. But I'm aiming this sermon specifically at those of you who are saved so that you would be burdened for your one. 
for that person, for those people in your life that you've committed to reaching. You know their name. Maybe you've written it down. Maybe you've already put their initials on a ping pong ball and dropped it in this box because you've invited them to church or you've had a gospel conversation with them. Those people you've committed to do whatever it takes to reach, even if it means digging some holes in some roots. I want this message to put a fresh burden in your heart for them. Let's look together at a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to come from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Using this text, I want us to think about some of the realities of hell. Now, I understand this is an illustrative story that Jesus is telling to highlight the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. I understand that. That point there at the end is aimed at the Pharisees, who aren't even going to believe. They don't believe Moses and the prophets. They're not going to believe, even when Jesus rises from the dead. I understand that. But this story is not quite a parable. And there's a lot of differences between this story and a traditional parable that Jesus tells. For one thing, he mentions people by name in this story, which he never does in a parable. So I believe that in this story, Jesus is pulling back the curtain for us to glimpse the reality of life after death. You know, Jesus' stories, even His parables, when He told them wherever the setting was, be it a farm or a fishing boat or a wedding or a vineyard, wherever the setting was, Jesus was always accurate in His details of that setting. And for that reason, even though not everything in this story can be taken literally, I think there's no reason for us to suspect what Jesus says here about heaven and hell. But first, I want to ask you a question about this story. First thing that jumped out at me as I was reading it this past week, if those in hell aren't able to come back and warn others so they can't go there, then who can? Who can warn people about the reality of hell? Think about that. Some people say, if God is so loving, then how can He send anyone to hell? Well, first of all, God doesn't send anyone to hell. 
We go of our own accord. We go of our own choice. We choose to reject God and His grace. Jesus said of Himself in our New Testament reading, For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You see, I didn't need God to send me to hell. None of us do. We take care of that part on our own, don't we? We are condemned already. Jesus came that we might be saved. There's a lot of confusion about hell in our culture. 59% of Americans interviewed, and this is higher than I thought it was going to be, 59% of Americans said they believed in hell. Now that is down from 2001 when it was 71% of Americans. It's quite a drop. But even among those who believe in hell, there's a lot of confusion about what hell is like. People's belief about hell tends to reflect Hollywood more than it does the Bible, right? That's why I want to preach a very simple message and give you the honest biblical truth about hell. And don't just take my word for it. Like Ben said, read the New Testament. Jesus said three times as much about hell as He did about heaven. But the first reality about hell is that hell is eternal. I heard one preacher say, eternity is too long to be wrong. Of all the things we can get wrong in this life, we cannot afford to get this one wrong. Because hell is eternal. Sometimes when I'm talking to someone and I'm trying to share the gospel and I ask them if they're a Christian, do they know Jesus? You know, are they saved? They'll say something like, well, I hope so. I think so. Listen, you don't have to hope and think so. You don't have to wonder. You can know. There is a way that you can know if you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things I don't know. And I don't care how much older I am now than I was when I came here as that wet behind the ears youth minister 19 years ago. I don't care that I have a doctorate. There's a lot of things I don't know. The older I get and the older my daughter gets, the more I realize there's a lot of things I don't know. Amen? (laughs) But one thing I do know, and that's that I have eternal life. I know because God has changed my life. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's not that I've arrived. It's not that I've got everything figured out. Just ask Julia. She'll tell you that. But I'm also not what I was. I'm not who I was. Jesus Christ lives in me. And I'm thankful. Because I believe with all my heart that hell is real and it's forever. And that's why I'm preaching this message. Because everyone here is going to spend eternity somewhere. Daniel 12, 2, our Old Testament reading, said, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame and contempt. It's everlasting. It's one or the other. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. These verses mean that everyone who has ever lived still exists. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. They're either in the presence of God or they're eternally separated from God. Hell is forever. Secondly, second reality, hell is a place of pain. The Bible often describes hell as a place of torment, destruction, 
anguish. Isaiah 66, 24 says, The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. In Jesus' story, the rich man is described as being in torment. And he wants even just a drop of water on his tongue because he is in agony in this fire, he said. And again, I don't relish this idea. None of us should. This should freak us out. This should get under our skin. This should break our hearts. Because hell is eternal. And it's a place of pain. Third, hell is a place of sorrow. Some of you maybe have read Dante's Divine Comedy in school. I read pieces, that, parts of it, not the whole thing. But in Dante's Divine Comedy, he describes this fictional journey through hell on his way to heaven. Listen, that's not how that works, by the way. Okay? Dante got it wrong in a lot of ways. But in the section called The Inferno, he described this sign that was over the portal to hell. It said, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. What's so sad about hell is there's no hope there for anyone. And like some people believe and some religions teach, you can't pay or pray someone's way out of hell. You can't be baptized on behalf of somebody who's in hell. It doesn't work that way. Hell is not a place of hope. It's not a place of joy or a place of laughter. But we like to make jokes about hell, don't we? We like to see funny little cartoons about hell. We like to tell these little jokes about hell because I think it's, I think it's because hell makes us uncomfortable. The idea of people suffering forever because they've rejected a holy God, they've sinned against an infinitely holy God, and so they're suffering His wrath in hell, that, that makes us a little squeamish. So we, we kind of tell some gallows humor about hell to sort of lighten the mood. But hell is no joking matter. There's no laughter there. There are no parties there. It's a place of unimaginable sorrow. Seven times Jesus describes hell as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude 13 talks about the gloom of utter darkness. Revelation 14 mentions how the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. Daniel 12 contrasts those who will be raised to everlasting life in heaven with those who will awaken to everlasting shame and contempt. Again, in the story in Luke 16, the rich man is filled with sorrow. He regrets the selfish, godless life that he lived. He's sad for his family and his friends who he knows are just following in his footsteps. And the last thing he wants is for them to join him there. Hell's a place of sorrow. Fourth, hell is a place of isolation. Johnny Hunt, who was pastor of First Baptist Woodstock, if you've ever heard his testimony, he talks about his life before coming to Christ and he describes his attitude about hell saying, everybody I knew was going to hell. Hell wasn't going to be that bad. All my buddies were going to be there. But then he went on to explain There's only one thing wrong, he said. There's no record in the Bible 
of there being any fellowship among the lost in hell. None. Not only will there be no parties or reunions in hell, those who are in hell are actually praying and begging, please, someone go tell my brothers, someone go tell my sisters, please, someone go tell my co-workers, my friends, my neighbors, tell them to repent and believe in Jesus. I don't want them here with me. The last thing anyone in hell wants is for anyone else to be there with them. Not only is hell a place of isolation from others, even worse than that, it is a place of separation from God. It's a place of separation from God. One of the most quoted things that Jesus says is in Matthew chapter 25. People love to quote the part where Jesus says, you know, uh, to clothe the naked and feed the hungry and visit those sick and in prison. You know, do, do, the, do unto them, do unto the least of these as you do unto me. That's what Jesus says, right? That we're supposed to treat the least of these like they're Jesus. People love to quote that. But they forget the part where Jesus talks about hell. What Jesus says about those who don't live their lives as citizens of the the kingdom of God. And that's what it means. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, your life is going to be characterized by feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting those who are sick and in prison. Your life's going to be characterized by doing unto the least of these as if you're doing unto Jesus. But if that's not your life, if you're not a part of the kingdom of God, Jesus says in verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me. To be in hell is to be departed from Jesus. It's to be sent away from Him. It's to be separated from the goodness and the grace and the glory of God. It's to be forever cut off from the source of life and light. Is it any wonder that when some people, not me, but is it any wonder when some people get mad, they say, just go to hell? Why do they say that? Because it's the absolute worst place you could ever think of that you'd want someone to go. Right? I mean, nobody ever looks at somebody and says, just go to heaven. Or just go to Krispy Kreme. No, it's go to hell. Listen, I don't want anyone to go to hell. I've given my life to preach the gospel so that I can intercept people who are on the way to hell and to help save them from that eternal destiny. Why in heaven would anyone choose and decide to go to hell? Why? As I mentioned earlier, God doesn't send anyone to hell. You see, we're sinners. We're sinners. That means our lives are on a trajectory away from God. That's the essence of sin, isn't it? The essence of sin is say, I don't want to do things God's way. I don't want to live my life the way God says it's best to live my life. I'm going to do my own thing. I know what's best, not you. So I'm going to live my life this way. And we live in sin. That's a life that's headed away from God. Well, you know where the destiny is of a life that's headed away from God? Proverbs 16.25 tells us, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Eternal death in hell. Which is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 instructs us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Make it straight to heaven. 
Adrian Rogers, who was pastor at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, told the story about a nightclub called the Gates of Hades. And the story goes there was a newcomer to town and he was looking for this nightclub. And so he ran into this police officer and he asked him for directions to it. Well, it just so happened that there was a church on that same street that was called Calvary Church. And so when the man asked the policeman for directions, the policeman said, if you want to get to the gates of Hades, you'll have to go past Calvary. How true is that? You can't go to hell without walking past the cross of Jesus Christ. And our job as Christians are to flag people down and to point them to the cross and to explain to them, you don't have to keep going this way. There's another way. There's a better way. Turn to Jesus. That's our job. Jesus wants to direct their paths down, their steps down the paths of righteousness. But they have to trust in Him as Savior and submit all their ways to Him as Lord. Listen, this morning on the front pews, And in the back in the vestibule are some New Testaments. And these New Testaments have been bought from the Gideons uh, and they are for you to be able to give out to anybody that you want. It doesn't have the Gideon symbol on it. It's, It's for you to be able to get and to give to anybody that you want. And when you're trying to have a gospel conversation with someone, when you're trying to invite someone to Jesus, you know, you may not have a lot of time to talk to them, but you can take a copy of the New Testament. You can put it in their hands. And they can take that with them and read it. And that seed can be planted in their heart. And you never know that they'll give their life to Jesus Christ, maybe. And so as you have an opportunity before you leave today, I invite you to stop pick up a couple of these. I'd love to see us run out of them. And you look for an opportunity with your one or with someone else to be able to give them a piece of Scripture. And there's some great helps and stuff inside of it that they can turn to that can direct them down those right paths. Now, this morning, I've got a few more minutes left. I really wanted to preach two sermons on hell, but the schedule just wouldn't allow it, okay? I mean, Easter's coming, right? So I only had so many weeks between now and Easter. So I'm going to try to squeeze in about the next ten minutes a second sermon on hell. Can I do that? All right, here we go. I want to conclude by telling you that there are a few good things in hell. Really quick. A few good things in hell, right? The first one is there are good people in hell. This rich man in this story was a good person. He was upstanding. He was a good citizen. People looked up to him. He probably was a good neighbor. He's the kind of man people would look at and say, well, he's a good man. He's done well for himself. He's not going to hell. But guess what? Good people go to hell. I know some people that aren't Christians, and morally speaking, they're good. They're good citizens. They do charitable, kind things to others. Some, some of them live a little bit better than some people I know that do claim the name of Jesus. But I want to tell you something about this rich man you may never have considered. Because you might be saying, well, how can you say this man was good? He wouldn't even give Lazarus, this guy begging at his front gate, he wouldn't even give him the, the crumbs from his table. But, I, but listen to what he did do. He let him sit at his gate and beg. Let me ask you this. How many of you went home today and you saw some homeless person all bundled up sitting at your mailbox at the end of your driveway begging, how many of you would call the cops to have him removed? How many of you would say, you need to move along here, you can't sit here and beg at my house? Now you're probably saying, David, I wouldn't do that. I'd I'd go give him some food, I'd take him to lunch. And you know what, you probably would, you're good people, and that's why I like (laughs) y'all. But my point is, this, this, this man wasn't all that bad. He let that beggar beg at his gate. 
He was a good man. So if you've ever been hung up on the fact that you don't think you're going to hell because you're good, you can be a good man, you can be a good woman, and you can still go to hell. Because hell is full of kind and courteous and charitable people. Secondly, there is good vision in hell. Jesus said that this man looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. This man's vision was so good in hell, he could see what he was missing. Have you ever been able to do that? Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, have you ever been able to see hell so clearly that you realize when you get there, all the things, all the good things in this life, all the better things in the next, that you're going to miss out on? This man is in hell, and God allowed him to see all the way over into heaven. He could see what he's missing. And I believe the people in hell are very well aware of all that they're missing. Number three, there are good prayers in hell. Listen to this man's impassioned prayer in verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Listen, it strikes me that if this rich man had prayed something like this while he was still alive, he wouldn't have ended up in hell. Because what does he do? He prays for God's mercy. Listen, that's what I did when I was a young man. In my living room, on the couch with my dad, I realized that I was lost in my sin and I cried out for God to have mercy on me and to forgive me and to come live in my life and to save me from my sins. And He did. Coming to faith in Christ isn't complicated. A seven-year-old, an eight-year-old can understand enough to believe, turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. So what's stopping you today? And what's stopping you from going to others and explaining to them that simple message? There are good prayers in hell. Number four, there's good memory in hell. I heard a story once, maybe you've heard this story too, about two middle-aged couples. They were having a friendly conversation and one of the men asked the other, Fred, how's that memory clinic you went to last month? And Fred said, oh, it was outstanding. They taught us all the latest psychological techniques like a visual, visualization, association, all this stuff. I haven't had a problem with my memory since. Well, that sounds like something I could use. What was the name of that clinic? Fred went blank. He thought and he thought and he couldn't remember. And then a smile broke out across his face and he said, What do you call that flower with the long stem and all the thorns on it? And the man said, A rose? He said, Thank you, that's right. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that clinic that I went to last month? If you're like me, there are some things you wish you could forget though, right? There are things you wish you could forget, but in hell there's no forgetting. Abraham answers this rich man and tells him to remember the way he treated others in his life. He said, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things. Likewise, Lazarus, the bad things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. Listen, this may, be, this may be one of the most frightening realities about hell. Is that in hell, there's consciousness. There's awareness. There's memory. What would you remember in hell? Listen, there may be people here today listening. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? You might end up living 85 years and then die and go to hell. One day, you will look back and remember this sermon. And you will remember this moment. 
You'll look back and you'll say, and I can't imagine anything more agonizing than to be in hell and for all of eternity to think, I always said there wasn't enough time. I always said that someday. I always said that I, I didn't need God. I remember that one sermon that preacher preached at First Baptist Church. I should have gone then. Oh, I wish I could go back and change things. There was good memory in hell. Number five, there's good theology in hell. Look at verse 30. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Now, how does a man in hell know that if you repent of your sins, you don't go to hell? How does he know that? Paul gives us the answer in Philippians 2.11. Paul tells us that someday when Christ returns, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, there are no atheists in hell. right? Atheists say, I don't believe in God. But one day that atheist will because everyone in hell believes in God. Everyone in hell believes this book 100%. Everyone in hell understands and knows that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And just like this rich man, those in hell will have a clearer grasp of the Word of God there than they ever had here. How tragic is that? And finally, there are good intentions in hell. You know, some people reject Christ out of, out of just outright rebellion. You know, they're just, they just outright just reject Him. I really have not run into a lot of people like that. When I share the gospel with folks, when I invite people to church and, and I talk about the things of God, I rarely ever have someone look at me and just say, shut up and get out of my face all that Jesus stuff. That just hardly ever happens to me. I don't run into a lot of ardent, obstinate people that just don't want to hear it at all. The rejection that I seem to see and sense most in people is a lot more subtle than that. Because you can deny and refuse Christ through apathy, through indifference, through ignorance, through procrastination. See, many people fully intend to follow the Lord. They just plan to do it someday. And there are a lot of people in hell who intended to give their lives to Jesus someday. They never intended to go there. They had good intentions. You know, you've heard it said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Maybe this morning you're saying, well, pastor, what do I have to do then to avoid hell? It's simple. You confess your sin. You recognize you're on that trajectory. And you turn from your sin. You change course. You turn to Jesus. You trust in Him. You ask Him to do for you what you could never do for yourself. To forgive your sins, to wash you clean, to give you a fresh start. And you know what? He will. Hell is not prepared for any of us. Jesus said that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for you and me. You know what was prepared for you and me? Heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he was going to heaven to prepare a place for us. And He was going to come back and take us to be there with Him. You can spend eternity in a place that was not made for you, or you can spend eternity in a place that was prepared for you. It all depends on what you do with Jesus. So listen, there may be someone here this morning who seriously, you're thinking in your heart, you know, I don't know that I'm not going to hell. I don't know that for certain. Here, just a moment, when we sing, I invite you to come right now and settle it so that you can know that you have trusted your life to Christ and that you know that your eternal destiny is glory.
forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. But for the rest of us who do know Jesus, who do have heaven as our future home, I want you to compare yourself this morning to this rich man. This rich man begged to have someone go tell his brothers about Jesus so that they wouldn't go to hell. This rich man believed in evangelism. I guess that's another good thing in hell. Hell is full of people who believe in evangelism. They're praying for someone to go tell their family not to come here. Listen, this rich man had five people on his prayer list. How many lost people are on your prayer list? Let's not let the population of hell be more concerned for the lost than the church is. Amen? That's what all of this over here is about. The ping pong balls to track our progress, the, 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 the cards, the, the booklets, the Bibles. It's all about how much do we care. There's no reason with the sanctuary this full, we don't have this thing halfway full, at least with these white ping pong balls saying, I've invited someone to church. How hard is it to invite someone to church? I'm encouraged to see some green ones in here. Some of you are having gospel conversations with people. We all, this week, need to have a gospel conversation with someone. Because hell is real. Hell is forever. And there are people who are going there unless they turn to Christ. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, may our hearts be broken and burdened like they never have before for those that we know that are lost and far from You. Forgive us for our indifference. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for becoming so busy and distracted that we just don't have the time to care. Set us on fire, the fire of the Holy Ghost, the fire of Pentecost, Father. May it fall upon us and fill our hearts and drive us out to share Your love and the only hope there is for people's eternal destiny, Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone in this room right now that has any doubt about their relationship with you, I pray they would come today and give their life to Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Would you please come and respond as the Spirit of God leads you today?